listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This message is from the series, What the Bible Says About, with a new weekly topic that goes through what the Bible says on important issues of the day. Be sure to check out Michael's book, A Call for Courage, Living with Power, Truth, and Love in an Age of Intolerance and Fear. You can get it on Amazon or wherever books are sold. An optical illusion, something that deceives the eye by appearing to be other than what it is. That's what an optical illusion is. We've all seen them, we've all experienced them, and you're about to experience three for yourself right now. An optical illusion is something that deceives the eye by appearing to be something other than what it is. For example, this first one up on the screen, if you draw your attention to the screen, do you see a vase or do you see two faces? What do you see? You see a vase? How many of you see a vase? How many of you see faces? How many of you can see both, depending on what you choose to see, right? And you have to focus your eyes and your attention on one, and it filters out the other. How about this second one? Let's wake everybody up this morning. You see a series of dots up there, or if you look right in the center, the dots begin to look like they're moving. But it's not trick photography, it's not a video, they're not moving, it's just that your eyes begin to see them as moving, all right? That's another optical illusion. And my favorite one, this is the third one. Look at this beautiful young lady. Do you see the beautiful young lady or do you see an old woman? How many of you see an old woman? How many of you see a a young girl looking away? Now, those of you who see the young girl looking away, look a little bit harder, look a little bit closer. Instead of seeing that necklace that she's wearing, imagine that as the mouth, the lips, and the nose of the young girl now becomes a wart. How many of you now see the old woman and wish you never saw her? Yeah, optical illusions. These are things that deceive the eye by appearing to be something other than what they are. And what I'd like to do today is look at Hebrews chapter three. Look with me at Hebrews chapter three, beginning in verse 12. That's going to set the stage for everything we're going to look at today as we look at what the Bible says about satanic strongholds. What does the Bible teach about satanic strongholds? But before we get there, look with me at Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Take care, brothers or brothers and sisters, take care, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Now, the Bible always presents the God of the Bible as the living God, and the implication there is that all other quote-unquote gods, they're not gods at all. They're fake, phony, fugazi gods. So the living God is the God of the Bible, right? Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It's very important to understand that sin is deceitful. And sin hardens otherwise soft hearts. You could otherwise have a heart that's soft to God, that's pliable, that God can speak to and mold and shape. But sin, in its deceitfulness, can actually cause hardening of the spiritual arteries. Hardening of the spiritual arteries. So you need to take really seriously the biblical challenge, which is consistent 
from Genesis to Revelation, a very consistent teaching in the Bible is that sin, like the same way that an, an optical illusion is something that deceives the eye by making things appear to be other than they really are, that's what sin does. It makes you see things in ways other than you should really see them. It's deceitful. There are two types of sins, really, if we were to paint with a broad brush, and I'm going to do that now. There are sins of omission, things that we don't do, and because we neglect doing them, that becomes a sin, right? Sin of omission, when we don't do something that we should do, that we know we should do. And there are many examples of that. Prayer is an example. Reading the Word of God is an example. Financial giving to the ministries of God is another example, right? Don't get all bent out of shape out of one of those. I'm giving you a couple of them. Asking for forgiveness when you know that you've done wrong. Apologizing. Making amends when you've done something wrong. Meaning if you've stolen something, giving it back. So actually stealing from somebody is actually a sin of commission, right? That's the other kind of a sin. When you do something you shouldn't do. Maybe you say something you shouldn't say. Maybe you think something you shouldn't think. You do something you shouldn't do, like you steal, right? You steal something, you shouldn't do that. That's a sin of commission. And whether it's a sin of omission or whether it's a sin of commission, whether it's something that we neglect to do that we should do and it becomes a sin, or it's something that we do that we shouldn't do, whether it's a sin of omission or commission, The reason is always the same, because we're deceived into thinking that if we do whatever it is that we choose to do, our lives are going to be better off. Now, in the immediate sense, that might be true. You might feel really good while you're binge eating a bag of potato chips. I've been there. I've done that. You might feel really good if you're slamming down some alcohol in the moment. You might feel really good watching something on the internet or on your tablet or on your smartphone looking at things you shouldn't look at. But then once the the glow of that screen fades away, you begin to realize that you were deceived. Once you wake up with that hangover, you begin to realize, I was deceived. That short-sightedness can lead to long-term consequences, negative consequences, right? So sin is deceitful. It promises, it overpromises what it can never deliver. Sin always promises to give you something without looking to God to supply that gift. And whenever we get things that don't come from God, there's always hell to pay. There is, there's always hell to pay in a very real, literal sense. Just ask somebody who's resisted God, ask them if they'd come out a winner. In the long term, no way. We might feel good temporarily. We might think that we've gotten ahead by giving in to the deceitfulness of sin. Well, I'm not going to do that because, you fill in the blank, or I'm going to do this because, after all, I deserve, and it all becomes about me, myself, and I. We begin to be the center of our own universe, the center of our own lives, instead of Jesus Christ. And so what happens is our hearts get hardened toward the Holy Spirit. Instead of following the Holy Spirit and seeing that the purpose of our life, the purpose of your life, my life, your family, my family, your business, any business that you might be running, any church, the purpose 
of our very existence is to glorify God, not satisfy ourselves. And one of the things that happens in the course of life because of the media age that we live in, because of the flesh that we live in, haven't you noticed you woke up in the same body that you had yesterday, right? Might be a little bit more of you there, as in my case, or maybe a little bit less of you, but it's still the same body that you woke up in. Whether it's the world or the flesh or the devil, sin always overpromises and underdelivers. Nobody ever sins and is happy and glad in the eternal scheme of things and even in the temporal scheme of things for having done it. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, let's delve in here a little bit more deeply to what the Bible actually says about satanic strongholds or footholds or place marks or welcome mats, right? What does the Bible actually say about demonic strongholds, whenever the Bible talks about Satan or the devil, it's not just talking about him personally, but also everything that's associated with him. For example, you can spend a lot of your time saying, uh, I resist the devil or I rebuke the devil. Most likely, the devil himself is probably not going to show up at your doorstep this evening, right? He's probably not personally going to show up at your particular business this week, but there are demonic entities, evil spirits, that when we refer to the devil, we refer to Satan, we're referring to the devil and all of his henchmen, that there really are demonic fallen angels whose intention and purpose is to cause you and to cause me to be deceived through this thing called sin. And if you're not careful, you'll take the bait, you'll believe that what's promised will be delivered, and it won't be, and the result will be a spiritual hardening of your arteries. Your heart will be hardened toward the things of God, the ways of God, the plan, the purpose of God, the movement of the Holy Spirit. And there are many followers of Jesus Christ who have gotten off to a good start, but because of a satanic stronghold, because they have not understood the significance of a demonic satanic, devilish stronghold, their hearts have become hardened. And the hardness of heart can lead you to God's second best again and again and again and again. Can lead you to have a life that is increasingly characterized by being satanically deceived. And if you're satanically deceived, you're going to make choices that don't honor God. And if they don't honor God, they're actually going to come back and bite you in the backside. That's the thing about sin. We think that we're getting ahead when we're doing it, but actually the more we sin, the deeper we get into it, the more we become self-deceived, the more we make choices that are deceptive in nature, and the more difficult the situation. It's like digging a deeper and deeper hole for yourself while all the while you wish you could get out. That's what sin does. Nobody has ever resisted God and come out a winner. Nobody. And maybe you're listening today, maybe you're watching today, and you're thinking, well, I'm getting ahead of the game. Nobody knows what I'm doing. God knows but I haven't really paid much attention. See, that's one of the things that happens when we get hardened hearts. We no longer are sensitive to God, and we no longer realize that he sees everything. He knows everything. 
So instead of slowing down long enough to, to really come to terms with the reality that God is omniscient, he knows everything. He sees everything. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere, right? We get so deceived that we think that we can hide something from God and get ahead of God or get ahead in life. It just sounds so crazy, doesn't it? I mean, who in their right mind, and that's the whole point, you're not in your right mind when you sin. Who in their right mind would willingly withhold themselves from God, willingly put the God of the universe, the living God at arm's length and say, I don't want you involved in this area of my life when he alone is the author of life. He knows how to give good gifts. He knows how to straighten out a crooked path. And yet we all do it for this reason and this reason alone. The deceitfulness of sin hardens our hearts toward the work of the Holy Spirit. And once your heart is hardened toward the work of the Holy Spirit, then it's a choice that you have to make. Do you want that hardness to continue? Or do you want that course to be reversed? Or do you want God to soften your heart and transform you and change you from the inside out? And that's really the choice that God is offering to you and to me today. Because the fact of the matter is that each and every one of us has hardening of the arteries, spiritually speaking, in some areas of life. And when the Spirit of God speaks to us about that area or those areas, then we have a choice to make. Am I going to invite the Lord Jesus to soften my heart, to soften that area, or am I going to continue in deceitfulness? Many of us know people who started off on a good course with Jesus, they gave their life to Jesus as their savior, but they didn't fully understand this idea of lordship. And if you don't settle this issue of lordship, that Jesus is going to be the master of every area of your life, you're going to invite the opposite, which is satanic strongholds. We know people have gotten off to a good start, then they chose to sin. Either through a sin of omission or a sin of commission, they chose to sin. And their heart became hardened and the cycle began in their life, where instead of them being drawn closer to the Lord and being more Christ-like, they actually are less and less Christ-like. And what you can do with the passage of time, it happens in church all the time. You begin to put on a church face and you begin to put on a spiritual veneer so that it looks like everything is fine. But there can be deep, dark places in our lives and I'm not talking about just sexual areas, all right? We, we tend to, in the body of Christ, whenever we think deep, dark, we think, oh, he's going to talk about pornography. He's going to talk about sexual sin. No, all sin, as you're going to become convinced as we look at Ephesians chapter 4, all sin is a welcome mat for satanic activity and hardens the heart. And listen, nobody who wants to be a follower of Jesus wants to have a hard heart. It's completely antithetical, completely opposite to God's calling on your life. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord. 
So he's really being earnest here again, the Apostle Paul, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So Paul's laying out a command here. This is not a suggestion. To follow Jesus is to be committed to Jesus. To follow Jesus is to be committed to a new way of life from the inside out. He says you, he doesn't say this is a suggestion. Hey, I really want to make a strong suggestion to you. He says you must. You must make sure that this happens once and for all and then in a continuing, ongoing way every day of your life. That's what he's saying here. Now I say this, the Apostle Paul's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and testifying the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now the word Gentiles that Paul is bringing up here is a reference to those who don't know Jesus as their Savior. As a Jew that Paul was, he's referring to the Gentiles in a way that Jews would do regularly, often, that Gentiles are people who are outside the agenda of God. That's the way that he's using it in this regard. They're outside of God's family, okay? So that's the way he's using it. Now, we know that the gospel went to the Gentiles, goes to the Gentiles. He's not referring to it in that regard. He's just saying, I want you to understand, you can, as a follower of Jesus, somebody who professes to know Jesus, continue to live as people who don't know Jesus. That's the way he's using the word Gentiles. And he's insisting on it. Paul is insisting on this. This is not a suggestion or a recommendation. This is a command that is as significant as any of the Ten Commandments. He's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and saying, listen, you must no longer walk or live as the Gentiles do, those who are apart from Christ, in the futility of their minds. This is something that we see again and again in the Bible. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, your whole being, by the renewing or the renewal of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So the mind, when it comes to spiritual warfare, is an epicenter of spiritual warfare. It's the area that the devil wants to attack. It's the area that the world is attacking. It's the area that your own flesh likes to attack. Negative thinking. My wife and I were driving in the car yesterday. We had a a two-way trip, a long trip, almost two hours each way. And on the way down, I had said some things that I needed to apologize for on the way up. But you're a pastor. Why are you being so honest and transparent? Because I'm helping you understand that if you cut me, I bleed. I struggle with my mind just like you struggle with your mind. Sometimes I can be my own worst enemy. And if I'm my own worst enemy by allowing my mind to go places it shouldn't go, I found an interesting thing happens. My mouth will follow. My feet will follow. My hands will follow. Whatever begins in the mind is manifest in my lifestyle. And so why is that a big thing? It's a huge thing because here's this stuff that's just going on in my own mind. I'm not worshiping the Lord because I haven't taken captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I'm not practicing Romans 12, 1 and 2. And so things are coming out of my mouth, and guess what? They're going into my wife's ears. And once they go into my wife's ears, guess what her eardrums do? They have this amazing ability to transmit that information 
into words that make sense and reasoning and consequences of words. And then her brain goes to work deciphering those words and the meaning behind those words. And she then has to make decisions, willingly or unwillingly, about whether or not she wants to hear what I'm saying or not hear what I'm saying, embrace what I'm saying or reject what I'm saying. So guess what I did? Just by what's going on in my mind and allowing it to affect my tongue, I've now infected the mind of my wife and now begun to hinder her ability to be a walking worshiper, a living sacrifice of the living God. So don't think that, well, it's just my sin, it's just my thinking, it's just my words, it's just my life. No, all sin, when it's full grown, infects other people. It affects other people. Dramatically, I said infects and affects. It affects other people. And so the mind is the epicenter of everything you think. Everything that you do is a result of what you think. So futility in your thinking is pretty stinking when it comes to spreading the aroma of Jesus Christ, which is what God has called you and me as followers of Jesus to do. We're supposed to spread the aroma of Jesus, but stinking thinking does the exact opposite. So Paul is saying, I'm insisting in the Lord on this. You've got to get your mind reined in. What you think does matter to God. That's the umbrella of what he's saying here. It matters to other people. And then he gives an an explanation of the characteristic way that Gentiles live or people who don't know Jesus the way they live. Verse 18, they're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Now, wait a second. This is Paul writing in Ephesians, and he's talking about the hardness of heart. Did he cop something off of the writer of Hebrews where that's talking about the deceitfulness of sin and the hardness of heart? Did Paul get a hold of Hebrews? Was it written before Ephesians or after Ephesians? It doesn't matter because this is one of the evidences of the accuracy of Scripture. Well, the writer of Hebrews, we don't even know who wrote Hebrews. People speculate about it. It's out doing his thing when the time and the place had come. The writer of the book of Ephesians, the apostle Paul, was out writing his book under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so if you're going to write a book, I wrote a book, right? You know I wrote a book. The last thing you're going to do if you want that book to make sense is to have multiple authors just farm out the different chapters to these people, not knowing what they're going to write about, put it into one bound volume and have it make sense. But yet that's what we have in the Bible because it's not just a humanly inspired, humanly written book. It's a divinely inspired book. And here's a perfect example of the theology of God being manifest in the book of Ephesians and the book of Hebrews, that there is such a thing as the hardness of heart, the hardening of your spiritual heart that comes from the deceitfulness of sin. And Paul, a different author than the writer of Hebrews, is consistent in this theology of the Holy Spirit. And you need to understand that the deceitfulness of sin will result in the hardening of your heart. So if there's any area of your life that you've gotten lazy over, that you are allowing sin, that you've taken down your spiritual garden, you're okay with sin in your life. God's not okay with that sin in your life. You shouldn't be okay with that sin in your life. You need to no longer allow yourself to be darkened in the futility of what would otherwise be the futility of your thinking that would result in the hardening of your heart. There are always consequences when you allow your mind to run rampant, even in one area. 
And I'm going to prove that to you courtesy of the Word of God. It's not just that you have, you know, a life that's out of control, a mind that's out of control, and there's all kinds of sin in your life and in your mind. All it takes is just one to deeply affect the rest of your mind, to deeply affect what comes out of your mouth, where your feet go, what you do with your hands, and then how you affect other people. It's huge. It's not a small thing, right? Verse 18, they're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God. Look at the alienation that is one of the consequences here. Because of the ignorance that's in them due to their hardness of heart, they've become, this sounds very similar to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 is a great chapter for you to look at if you want to look at the decline in civilization and if you want to look at the decline of what can happen in your life if you don't take sin seriously, right? They have become callous. In other words, you don't start off that way, but you can end up very callous, akin to having this hardened heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Again, Paul helping us understand the contrast. That's not the way you're supposed to live your life now that you've come to know Jesus as your Savior. But that's not the way you learned Christ, verse 20 and then 21, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. We're living in a day where people think that your truth can be different than my truth, my truth can be different than your truth, and whatever floats your boat, if it feels good, do it, if you're not hurting or harming anybody. Listen, if it's not truth, if it's not God's truth, objective truth, the truth that is in Jesus, which we just looked at here in verse 21, then it's false. It's deceptive. And if it's false and deceptive, it's sinful, and it's going to result in nothing beneficial to your life. Nothing beneficial to anybody's life. Sin is never beneficial. It is never ever beneficial. You might feel good temporarily, but eventually the Holy Spirit's going to come knocking on the door of your heart and you're going to feel, you're going to experience the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit operates with surgical precision. He points out an area, specific area or areas of our lives that are out of whack, out of kilter. He's able to use that spiritual scalpel and get right to the heart of the matter. But if you're calloused and you're hardened in your heart, you won't yield to the prompting, the urging, the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit. You can actually teach yourself to be insensitive to the Holy Spirit. You don't want to spend another day of your life being insensitive to the Holy Spirit in, the, in, in one area of your life where God is trying to get your attention because it will never lead you to a good place. It'll never lead you to a good place, right? So there is truth, it's objective truth, it's God's truth, it's not relative. We might live in a relativistic society, but God's truth is still absolute, it's still objective. It originates from him and is revealed to you and to me. There is truth that is found in Jesus. Verse 22, you were taught in him as the truth that is in Jesus to put off your old self 
which belongs to your former manner of life, the way you used to live, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. There's that word again, deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. There's the role of the mind again. The significance of the mind when it comes to spiritual warfare. You were taught to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, meaning take captive every thought, meaning don't just allow thoughts and inclinations that come into your mind at times. Don't they make you say, where in the world did that come from? But then it's your obligation to take that thought that dishonors God and to bury it. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment, about how to do that. But look what he says here. You are taught to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's why you are to be a little Christ. A Christian is to be like Jesus in character. You are to be more and more like the one who's leading your life, the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And righteousness and holiness are important. They're vital. Verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood compared to the truth, right? Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. One thing to be angry, it's what you do with that anger that can be sinful and cause all kinds of difficulties and hardships for yourself and for other people. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And then he says this in verse 27. This is an opportunity sandwich here, right? And give no opportunity to the devil. There's the meat of what he's saying here. He's already been talking about opportunities that we give to the devil by listing specific sins. Don't make the mistake of thinking he's being exhaustive here. He's not listing every conceivable sin of omission and every conceivable sin of commission. He's giving us a sampling that you would use your mind, that you would actually think. Imagine thinking in today's day and age, right? God wants you to think. He wants you to use your mind. He wants you to get an understanding that Here's some examples of sin, and all of these things that I've just listed already, up to verse 27, they're opportunities for the devil. The NIV says, do not give the devil a foothold or a stronghold. The original language says, a place. Don't give him a place. Don't give him a welcome mat. Don't give him an opportunity. And so in the same way that we can look at an optical illusion and we can see a vase or two faces or we could see a young woman looking away to the side or a profile of an old woman, sin can deceive us and we can begin to look at sin as just something that we've done wrong, just as omissions and commissions. And we don't understand that what it actually is, hey, Satan, Come on over here. You're looking for some action? I'm going to let you do what you want to do. I'm going to let you do what you do best. See, if we begin to see sin, not just as things we don't do and things we do that dishonor God, if we begin to see sin as a welcome mat for satanic activity, satanic energy, that could throw some cold water out on your face at a time when you might need that to happen with the things that you say with your mouth, the things that you look at with your eyes, the meditations of your heart, the inclinations of your heart, how you use the money that God gives you, how you use the time that God gives you. You know what David Cassidy, 
recently died. He died this year. David Cassidy, many of you know David Cassidy as being that teen heartthrob. Well, he, at the end of his life, you know, there was a lot of deception in his life. People thought that he had Alzheimer's and he said that he had Alzheimer's. He was suffering from it. Well, video clips came out and, where he's actually saying, no, I didn't have Alzheimer's. I got back into alcohol and I was drinking again. And that's why I was having these difficulties and hardships. On his deathbed, David Cassidy's last words, and I quote, so much wasted time, end quote. That's what he said. So much wasted time. You know, wasting time is a sin because God's given you time as a resource to use wisely for his glory. So you have to be responsible in your use of time. The only time you'll never get back. The time that one day you'll be judged for how you use that time, that commodity, that precious gift that God has given you. It happens in my life. I'm sure it happens in your life too. Sometimes we just get on autopilot and we think that sin is just something that I've done, something that I've said. I'll just ask for forgiveness for that and then just move on. And you don't realize that it's a giant welcome mat for satanic activity. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Do not give the devil a stronghold. Do not give the devil a place in your life. Well, how do I give the devil a place in my life? Through any sin. Any sin is an opportunity. It's a welcome ad. It's an open door. You might as well put an ad on Craigslist and say, hey, looking for satanic opposition. I'm welcoming satanic opposition, not in every area of my life, because we know there are areas in our life where it's advantageous to follow Jesus because Jesus will bless us. See how hypocritical we can be? So we'll invite Jesus to move and to work and to be active in a certain particular area of our life, or maybe 99% of our lives. We'll ask Jesus to move in our lives, but there can be that one area of our lives where maybe our needs are not getting met or our wants are not getting met. A lot of times we confuse our wants with our needs. Anybody struggle with that? We confuse our wants with our needs. We need the Holy Spirit to come in and to provide clarity. Hey, listen, you might want that, but you might not really need that. And many of us have wanted things in our lives that we found out we really didn't need. And once we got them, we said, oh, I was out of my mind. I wish I never pursued fill in the blank. So you need to be careful that you're not deceived into thinking that it's just a wrong decision. Wrong decisions, sinful decisions, can have satanic ramifications. Do not give the devil an opportunity. An opportunity to do what? to deceive you, to harden your heart, to get you on a course that is opposite of the direction of Jesus in your life. Don't give the devil an opportunity to deceive you into thinking that there is pleasure and happiness and peace and fulfillment apart from the gifts that God gives. Listen, if God doesn't give it to you, you don't want it. If God doesn't want you to have it, you don't want it either. That's the way it works. And the deceitfulness is found here that you could actually think, well, going back to the garden, hey, this fruit that we were told not to eat actually looks pretty good. We could get some wisdom and some knowledge and some insight. Maybe, maybe God doesn't want the best for us after all. Maybe God is oppressive. Maybe God doesn't want me to have good things and to experience 
the best quality of life that I could possibly have. And then you begin to do something that you shouldn't do, that you know is not right, but then you think that it is right because you think that there's secret knowledge, secret peace, there's secret happiness. There's something that you can get by doing an end run around God. Let me spare you. Let God spare you right now. You will never be able to do an end run around God. Never, ever will you be able to have a shortcut that will get you the blessing that God alone can give you apart from the hand of God being in that blessing. If God doesn't want you to have it, you don't want it either. If God doesn't want you to pursue it, you don't want to pursue it either because your satisfaction and your fulfillment and your contentedness, listen, listen to what God wants you to hear right now. Your satisfaction and your contentedness and your fulfillment and your peace and the resulting glory of God that comes as a result of you being satisfied in God, it's all wrapped up in Jesus and Jesus only. That when, yeah, you're allowed, you're allowed to get excited about that. I hope you get excited about that. When you delight yourself in the Lord, he gives you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean come up with your own heart's desires and then ask God to bless them. It means that God actually will change the desires of your heart and give you desires in your heart that are God-honoring and God-pleasing as the deceitfulness is taken care of, as your heart gets softer and softer to the things of God. As you say yes to the Lord in the little things, you can say yes to God in the big things. Many of us focus on those big things in our lives, those big decisions in our lives. And they're big on purpose, right? They're big on purpose. But the big, I found in my own life, the big decisions become easier to swallow and easier to discern in proportion to me walking in a lifestyle of right decisions over the quote unquote little things. And you begin to realize that there's no such thing as a little sin when it comes to offering a welcome mat to Satan. There's no such thing as a little sin when it comes to the resulting compromise of God's glory. And so when he says, don't give the devil an opportunity, he's helping us understand that all sin is a satanic opportunity. All that it does is it invites shipwreck into your life. It invites waywardness. It invites deceit. It invites being deceived and deceiving other people. It invites hardness of heart. And listen, one thing you don't want to be at the end of your life, however long it might be, you don't want to be a person who's got a hard heart toward God. It's completely contrary to why you got saved or why you're going to get saved in just a moment. It's completely contrary to anything and everything that God wants to work in your life. You'll never be able to use a hard heart in a God-glorifying way. You might say, well, God can make all things better. Yeah, God can do that. It's not because your hard heart is something that he's championing and wants to see cultivated. God wants you to have a soft heart. In the course of life, you could have thin skin and a hard heart. People can get under your skin. You can get annoyed very quickly. We say this to each other as pastors all the time. I remind myself, I remind the pastors, listen, you got to be really careful. You don't develop thin skin and a hard heart. You need a thick skin and a tender heart toward God. 
And the way that that happens is by cultivating your own walk with the Lord, walking with him, walking with God, not walking the way you used to as the Gentiles do and the futility of their thinking. But you've been called to a new lifestyle and that new lifestyle is to walk with God, not to give the devil opportunity, not to give a welcome mat, not to allow sin to rule and to reign in any area of your life. Look at verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal. Here's other opportunities that you could give to the devil. But rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. That people who are listening aren't corrupted, aren't led astray, but that they're blessed. They're being given undeserved favor by what comes out of your mouth. Verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Did you know that to give an opportunity to the devil, to give the devil a foothold, to give the devil a stronghold, to allow and tolerate sin in your own life is to grieve the Spirit of God? They're synonymous. You grieve, I grieve, we grieve the heart of God. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we choose to please the devil. And the way you please the devil is by allowing that foothold, allowing that stronghold, allowing that opportunity to remain unopposed, right? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. How did God in Christ forgive you? Totally, completely, unconditionally. All you had to do was say, Jesus, give your life to him and every single one of your sins was taken care of. Now here, I want to leave you with a powerful verse of scripture, Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. Look with me at Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13, because you need to make the distinction. You need to be able to make a distinction between simply confessing sin and really getting sick and tired of your sin to the point where you give it a kick in the you-know-what. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. He who confesses and forsakes, other translations say renounce, who renounces them. See, you need to get so serious about sin because the Bible talks about satanic strongholds, right? You need to get so serious about sin that you move from simply confessing sin to forsaking sin. Whatever sin it is that God has brought to your attention could be the use of your time, the use of the money that God gives you, the use of your mouth that God's giving you, what you do with your hands, where you go with your feet, variety of things, all right? The Holy Spirit knows how to speak to you about those areas of your life. I don't need to provide a litany, a whole list of sins any more than Paul did in the book of Ephesians, right? He's giving us examples of sin. What God wants you to understand is he wants you to be free. He doesn't want you to be deceived by sin. He doesn't want you to have a hard heart. He wants you to have a soft, tender heart, thick skin, meaning resilient and resistant to sin, but a tender heart that's sensitive to the Holy Spirit. 
You need to have time on a daily basis, every single day. Here's the practical application as we wrap it all up, put a ribbon on it, and send everybody home, okay? You need to take that Bible that you have, and you need to read that Bible. It's not the quantity of the Bible. See, until the Bible's reading you, you're not reading the Bible. Until your Bible is reading you, you're not reading the Bible. Until your Bible is reading you, you are not reading your Bible. And what I mean by that is you open up, you crack open the Word of God on a daily basis. Well, I missed a day. Well, that means you didn't miss it for six days. Give yourself a round of applause, you know. So you miss a day. So you miss two days. We all do. We're in church. Don't lie about it. But be committed Don't let that sin of omission be something that becomes a foothold, a stronghold, an opportunity for the devil. Because if you're not in the Word of God regularly, you're not going to think the thoughts of God regularly. And if you don't think the thoughts of God regularly, you're not going to say things that honor God regularly. You're not going to do things that honor God regularly, right? So the only way that I have found, the only way that you can get into the practice of not simply confessing and acknowledging your sin, but forsaking and renouncing your sin is to have a steady diet in God's word, the Bible, so that when you're reading a passage of scripture, you need to be able to stop and say, God, you just read my mail. That's me. That's got my fingerprints all over it. You might have an area or areas of your life where you've been struggling for a number of years. Might be with your mouth, might be with your hands, might be with your use of time, use of money, any kind of sin of omission or sin of commission. You might need to cross over. I would highly encourage you to do what Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13 says. Don't simply confess your sin. It's time to get serious and to forsake it. It's time to get serious and to renounce it and to say, I repudiate it, I turn my back on it, I want nothing more to do with this sin at all. Lord, I realize that I've given an opportunity to the devil by not taking this sin of omission or this sin of commission seriously. I no longer want to give the devil an opportunity. I want to give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to do in me, with me, to me, and through me what otherwise I would deprive God of. See, you need to understand the importance of renouncing, forsaking turning your back on sin, it's different than simply confessing sin. That's one of the reasons why many of us allow the satanic strongholds to continue in our lives because we don't get serious about forsaking and renouncing. Go home and make a list. Take the list that maybe you've already begun by listening and Write that list out thoroughly and specifically state the sin. I have a problem with slander. I have a problem with gossip. I have a problem with sensuality. I have a problem with stealing. Whatever it might be, I have a problem in that I'm not generous to God. I have a problem in that I don't give to God my first fruits. Whatever it might be, omission and commission. Write it out on a piece of paper and lay it before the Lord and say, Lord, I give this to you and I no longer am just confessing this. I'm forsaking it. I'm renouncing it. I'm asking you to break the back of this thing in my life, and I'm serious about it. And you might find what I found on multiple occasions in my life, a newfound freedom and a soft heart that comes as a result of dealing with the otherwise deceitfulness of sin that always takes us down a wrong path. I guarantee if you do that and if you're serious about it, you might get some serious breakthroughs in your own life that might affect more than just your own life. Interested in requesting Michael Anthony for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? 
Click the invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on couragematters.com. You can get more resources just like this podcast through the app and website as well.